Good morning, church. I love you, and I appreciate you. I never get tired of telling you that. Just like I never get tired of celebrating who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus, God is good. Amen? God is so very good. And as I was sitting there just now looking out at the crowd and thinking about the last two years, uh, the last three years now, and thinking it is so good to start seeing so many people gathered together, and it's just a reminder that no matter, no matter how bad things look, no matter what's going on, no matter how bad things hurt, Jesus wins. Jesus wins, and Jesus' people win. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, Jesus wins. And when we are on his side, we can know that and embrace that even in the darkest moments. In the year 1633, most people in the world believed that the earth was stationary and that the sun moved around the earth. Now, of course, that makes perfect sense, right? I mean, because that's, that's what it feels like. That's what it looks like. That's what it seems like. If we didn't know any better, that's what we would still think was true, wouldn't we? We would think that the earth stands still and that the sun is the one that, that moves around the earth. I mean, it feels like in every morning we get up, it feels like the sun is rising. We still talk that way and say the sun rises and it feels like all day long that the sun moves across the sky and then at night it feels like the sun is setting. But around that time, there were some astronomers that began to stumble upon the truth. They, they began to stumble upon and discover reality and began to suggest that, actually, wait a second, it, it, it seems like what's really true is that the, the sun is stationary and that the earth is revolving around the sun. But when people like Galileo said that, and they began to publish books and material that said that actually it's the earth that revolves around the sun, people didn't want to believe that. They rejected that wholeheartedly, because if that was true, it was going to mean that they would have to rethink so many different things. If that was true, then not only would they have to rethink the, the sun and the earth and their relationship to each other, and then everything is space and how it relates to each other. They'd even have to rethink things like the tides coming in and going out. They'd have to rethink the calendar. They'd even have to rethink how they read Scripture. And so they accused Galileo of being a heretic. In fact, they put him on trial, and they convicted him of heresy, and he spent the last few years of his life under house arrest. I say that because this is, unfortunately, the way people tend to be. This is the way we tend to be. Unfortunately, sometimes we would rather live a lie than realign our lives to reality, wouldn't we? That's the next slide. Sometimes we would rather live a lie than realign our lives with reality. It's easier, isn't it? to just keep doing what we were doing, to just do what feels right, what feels good, what seems true, what everybody else is doing, what the prevailing philosophy and wisdom happens to be, and just kind of go along. And, and if somebody suggests something that would be like a, a paradigm shift, 
that would require us to rethink how we do everything and why we do everything. It's really easy to just reject that, isn't it? To not even think about it or consider it because realigning our life with reality would cause us to have to rethink why we do and what we do, everything. And so often it's easier just to keep living a lie. And I I guarantee that there has been a moment in your life and in my life, maybe it's going on right now, maybe right now in your life, and you just haven't stopped to realize it yet, but you keep living a lie rather than realign your life with reality. But here's the thing about reality. Reality is true whether we believe it or not. Isn't that right? Reality is true whether we believe it or not. The truth was the earth really did revolve around the sun whether people believed it or not. Reality is true whether you believe it or not. Reality is true whether you like it or not. Reality is even true if you can come up with a thousand reasons you reject it. Reality is even true if you can convince other people not to believe it. Reality just keeps on being true. Reality is true whether we believe it or not. But sometimes realigning our lives with reality is incredibly challenging. And it's easier in the moment to keep living a lie. But what happens when we keep living a lie? Eventually, we come face to face with reality. Eventually, we realize that living a lie is always self-destructive. And we must eventually come face to face with reality and begin to realign our lives with what is true. Now, of course, the truth this morning that we're all thinking about, the reality that we're thinking about, is the resurrection of Jesus, That Jesus has been raised from the dead, whether some people want to believe it or not. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you reject it or not, that's reality. And there was a guy named Saul, you might know him also by the name of Paul, who in the beginning rejected that reality. And said, I don't believe that reality. I don't believe that Jesus is the Christ I don't believe that he's the Messiah. I don't believe he's been raised from the dead. And he fought against that reality. Look at Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I mean, he was, he was so convinced that Jesus had not been raised from the dead, so convinced that Jesus was not the Christ, that he was convinced that the people who believed in Jesus, the people who were following Jesus, people like you and me, were a threat to Israel. And he was convinced, in fact, he would say later about this time of his life, he would say, I was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. 
See, but reality was still true. Jesus really was the Messiah. Jesus really had been raised from the dead. Jesus really was ruling over heaven and earth. And the fact that Saul didn't believe that didn't change that that was true. The fact that Saul was convinced that he was doing the right thing, the fact that Saul was convinced he was doing the good thing didn't change the fact that Jesus really had been raised from the dead and Jesus really is the Son of God. Reality is true whether you believe it or not. Reality is true whether you fight against it or not. Look at verse 3. Now as Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. See, this is what happens when you come face to face with reality. This is what happens when you come face to face with the reality that you've been rejecting. This is what happens when you come face to face with the reality that you didn't want to believe in, with the reality that you didn't accept, with the reality that you didn't embrace. And guess what? It hurts, doesn't it? It hurts when you come face to face with the reality that you've been rejecting. But this reality, this reality that Jesus really has been raised from the dead, this reality that Jesus really is the Son of God, This reality that this son of a carpenter from Nazareth who preached, turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and love not only the people that love you back, but love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This Jesus who thought that the way to to change the world, the way to save the world was to give his life, was to take up his cross and be crucified. This Jesus really was the one he claimed to be. This Jesus really is God's son. This Jesus really has been raised from the dead. This Jesus really is the ruler, the king of heaven and earth. And this is the reality that everyone, everyone will eventually come face to face with this reality. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will eventually confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, because this is truth. This is reality. Whether we like it or not, whether we accept it or not, whether we embrace it or not, whether we realign our lives to this reality and with this reality, it's true. Reality just keeps on being real. Jesus just keeps on being alive. Jesus keeps on reigning and ruling over heaven and earth, whether people reject it or not, or accept it or not. And now Saul has come face to face with this reality that what he's been doing has been not just persecuting these disciples, but he's been persecuting the Messiah. He's been persecuting the Son of God. Then it says in verse 6, Jesus continues to tell him, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. So Saul 
rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. You know, it occurs to me as I read this that even though at this point in the story Saul is blind, he actually can see better than he has in a very long time. Isn't that true? Even though he's blind, he can see better than he has in a very long time because now he knows that this story about Jesus that people have been saying, this idea that Jesus of Nazareth really is the Christ, this, this proclamation that Jesus is ruling over heaven and earth as the, the risen Savior, like this is reality. And now Saul has come face to face with that reality and he knows it's true. But here he sits, not eating, not drinking, just quietly for days, contemplating this reality. And I want to ask you this question. When was the last time that you spent time quietly rethinking your life in light of the resurrection? And maybe the answer to that is, that's a silly question, Wes. I've never done that. And maybe we need to do that. I'm convinced because we live in such a a loud world. Don't we? It's just a loud, it's a loud world. You can't go out to eat and have a conversation across the table because it's so loud. You can't drive down the road without the, the radio or the podcast or the music or whatever being loud. And even if it's not literally loud, there's always information bombarding us that we so seldom take time to rethink our lives in light of reality. In this case, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. When's the last time you turned everything off, set your smartphone down, turned off the podcast and the audiobook and the music and everything we like to listen to and got off social media for a minute and just said to yourself, if this is, if this is true, if Jesus, if Jesus really is the ruler of heaven and earth, if Jesus really has defeated death, if Jesus really has given his life for my sins, if I belong to him and I've been raised up with him and I've, I'm new creation in him, if all this stuff is true, what does that mean about uh, what I typically do? How I've been spending my Saturdays? How I've been spending my Mondays? How I've been spending my money? How I've been treating my spouse? How I've been treating my kids? How I've been talking to my neighbors? How I've been treating people I disagree with politically? Ask yourself all of these questions in light of the resurrection of Jesus. If this is true, what does that mean about the way I'm living my life? Am I living my life in a way that's in line with this reality? Saul had to rethink everything, everything. There wasn't a single area of his life that Saul didn't have to say, oh man, what does it mean about that? I've been doing everything wrong. Everything I've been doing, now I've got to do the opposite. I've got to change the way I've been thinking about everything and change the way I've been doing everything. 
But it requires us to take some time in quiet solitude to rethink our lives in light of the resurrection. I'm convinced that the next great revival in the church is going to happen when we finally are quiet. Quiet makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? We're so uncomfortable. We're so nervous when things get quiet. But let me encourage you this week. Let me encourage you even today to spend time quietly contemplating, quietly reflecting on what what does the resurrection mean about the way I've been living my life? What would it really look like for me to realign my life with this reality? Now look at verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. I just kind of want to stop there for a second. I mean, I I don't know if this was a common thing for Ananias, for for God to come knocking on his door, for Jesus to come knocking on his door and say, hey, I got a mission for you. Maybe this had happened to Ananias before, but I suspect it probably was an unusual thing. And whether it happened before or not, I'm sure Ananias felt very, very privileged that the Lord was coming to ask a favor of him. And he says, Ananias, he says, here I am, Lord, just excited to be of service to the Lord. And here's what the Lord asks of him, verse 11. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. I'm sure at this point, Ananias is thinking, um, maybe it was a different Ananias, right? I mean, maybe he saw, you just said he saw a vision of a man named Ananias. That could be any Ananias. Maybe you got the wrong number, Lord. I would call somebody else. Because Saul? Saul? Saul of Tarsus, Saul? Saul of Tarsus, Saul that we've all been scared of? Saul of Tarsus, Saul that, that we knew was coming to Damascus to arrest people like me? Saul of Tarsus who came here to arrest my wife and my daughters and my sons and my my Christian brothers and sisters, that's all of Tarsus? The Saul of Tarsus that I'm currently hiding from, that's all of Tarsus? You want me to go talk to him? He's blind and you want me to go restore his vision? Ananias answered, verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's an interesting promise, isn't it? Paul, Saul, I'm going to show you how much you have to suffer for the sake of my name. Now, now we might look at that and think of that like punishment, but Saul wouldn't think of it like punishment, but like a privilege, like a gift that Jesus is willing to let him, even though he rejected the reality of Jesus' resurrection, even though he initially rejected the reality of Jesus' messiahship, even though he he rejected everything that was true about Jesus and persecuted Jesus and his people, Jesus still allowed him the privilege of suffering for his name. 
Jesus allowed him the privilege of sharing in his suffering. You see how the the reality of the resurrection, it changes everything. And for us to realign our lives with that reality means we even think differently about suffering. It means we think differently about life. It means we think differently about success and failure. It means we think differently about victory and defeat. It means we re-examine everything. And we realign everything to this new reality. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. See, that's what baptism is, isn't it? It's that initial moment where we start to realign our lives with this reality. Where we finally stop fighting against reality. We finally stop rejecting reality. We finally say, this is true. This is true. Jesus really is the Son of God. This is true. Jesus really is the Messiah, God's chosen King to rule over heaven and earth. This is true. Jesus really has offered himself as a sacrifice for my sins. This is true. Jesus really has been raised from the dead. This is true. Jesus is coming again to raise the dead. And we're going to live with him forever. These things are true. And so now I'm going to die to myself And I'm going to die to the way I lived my life. I'm going to die to my old life and my old reality and the things I used to embrace and the things I used to do and the way I used to think. And I'm going to be buried with Jesus in baptism. So when I'm raised up out of that water, my life is realigned with with the reality of the resurrection. But any time you realign yourself, you kind of have to get your bearings for a minute, don't you? When you, when you arrive in a new place, if you fly somewhere, you, maybe you fly in an airplane to a new place and you kind of get off the plane and you got to kind of get your bearings, don't you? Where am I? Which way is north? Which way is east? Which way is south? Which way is west? I, I got to kind of get my bearings now. And so Saul has stepped into this new, new creation reality. Now he's been raised up from that water of baptism into this new reality. And what used to be up is now down. And what used to be down is now up. And what used to be sideways is now straight. And everything is different. And he has to kind of get his bearings to say, okay, who am I? How do I fit into this new reality? See, some of us have never really done that. Some of us have never really thought that deeply about the resurrection. We, we may acknowledge that it's true and say, yes, 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 I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he's been raised from the dead. But have you re-examined your life in light of that reality? Have you gotten your bearings with that and realized, what does that mean? That the, the one who preached the Sermon on the Mount is the ruler of heaven and earth. The one who taught these things, the one who lived these things out has 
has now been raised up and is seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean for the way you live your life on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Have you realigned your life with that reality? Verse 20, and immediately Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. See, this is when Saul or Paul really began to live. This is when he really began, began to live. This is when anyone begins to live. You only really begin to live your life when you realign your life with the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. You know what that's like, don't you? In small ways, when you've been fighting against something that's true, when you've been fighting against reality, when you've been living a lie rather than embracing the truth, and then finally you come around to the truth and you realize that the truth really does set people free. And that when you realign your life with the truth, it might be hard to rethink everything in light of the truth, in light of reality, but that's when you really start to live. This is when we really start to live, when we realign our lives with the reality of the resurrection. So there's the question. Is your life aligned with the reality of the resurrection? Now, we'd all like me to just be done so we can go to lunch or go to Bible class or whatever and just kind of leave it at that open-ended question or we could all just say, yes, yes, my life is aligned with the reality of the resurrection. But I want us to think through some of the things that that might mean. Is your life aligned with the reality of the resurrection? How about this as, as one question? Is the way you repent of sin aligned with the reality of the resurrection? You've been struggling with something, haven't you? With some sin that you, you know you ought not to do, and you feel like it's hopeless and, and that you're helpless to overcome that sin. And so you, you have moments in your life where you just give yourself to it and you just indulge yourself and you just keep on doing that thing you know you ought not to do. But if you reflect on the reality of the resurrection, that Jesus really is in charge of the world and that Jesus really has given you, if you belong to him, he's given you his spirit to help you overcome this sin and that you cannot keep living in sin if you've been buried with Jesus and raised up to live with him. Wouldn't it make us rethink the way we act and think about our own sin and our behavior. As we think about whether or not our life is aligned with this reality, we've got to reflect on the way we repent of our sin. Or how about this? Is the way you share the good news aligned with the reality of the resurrection? Like it's one thing to sit in here and say, praise God, Jesus is risen. He is risen. He is risen. God is good. But if we really believe that's true, wouldn't we share that with the people we know and the people we love? Or how about the way you study Scripture? Is the way you study Scripture aligned with the reality of the resurrection? 
I mean, it changes the way we study scripture, doesn't it? Because these aren't just old, dusty manuscripts. This is our family story. If this story is true, and if we really have been adopted into the family of God, it changes the way we read the story because now in Christ Jesus, we're part of the story. We've been grafted into the story. We've been adopted into the story. So it changes the way we read scripture. And it changes the way we think about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. It changes the way we think about David. It changes the way we think about Jesus. It's become personal. Do we read Scripture and study Scripture that way? Is the way you treat the church aligned with the reality of the resurrection? Jesus said to Paul, said to Saul on that road to Damascus, why do you persecute me? Now, we might think, well, I mean, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church. And Jesus would say, same thing. Same thing. Because the way you treat the church is the way you treat Jesus. Let me, let me say that again, just in case we didn't get it. The reality of the resurrection means that the way you treat the church is the way you treat Jesus. Now, Jesus may not say to us, why do you persecute me? But he might say, why do you ignore me? Why are you apathetic about me? Why do you talk so badly about me? And you say, Jesus, I'm not talking bad about you. I'm not ignoring you. I'm not apathetic about you. I love you. It's the church I don't like very much. And Jesus said, same thing. That's my body. And they're not perfect, but they're mine. And the way you treat them is a reflection of the way you think of and treat me. This is what it means to realign our lives with the reality of the resurrection? Or how about, is the way you love your neighbor aligned with the reality of the resurrection? Or how about, is the way you worship aligned with the reality of the resurrection? Is, is worship, prayer, and singing, and all of the things we do, taking the Lord's Supper, do we do, we do it with the joy and the passion and the enthusiasm of people who really believe that this story about Jesus, this is reality. We only really start to live. We only really start to live when we realign our lives with the reality of the resurrection. This is life. This is eternal life, is being baptized into Jesus and allowing him to redefine what's up and what's down, what's right and what's left, what's straight and what's sideways. And we only really start to live when we stop fighting against reality, when we stop rejecting reality, and we not only acknowledge reality with our mouth, but we realign our entire life according to this truth. This is when we really start to live. This is when we get off the path of self-destruction. And it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to realign our lives. It's hard to rethink our lives because it, it challenges everything. It challenges what we do at work. It challenges what we do at school. It challenges what we do with our family. It challenges what we do with our neighbors. It challenges how we treat the church. It challenges what we do when we're all by ourselves. 
But this is when we really start to live. It's when we realign our lives with the reality of the resurrection. And it starts at baptism, and then it continues every day after that. And every day we get up, we have to get our bearings all over again, don't we? To say, okay, well, uh, who am I? Where am I headed? What am I doing? Who's in charge? What's life all about? And maybe there's somebody this morning, and you're ready to realign your life according to this reality, to be baptized into Jesus, or maybe just get your bearings again. And maybe we can pray with you. Maybe we can help you. Maybe we can encourage you. Our shepherds would love to meet with you in the prayer room after service, or you can come forward now as together we stand and sing this song.